how do you actually know they could indeed bring out eight products, right? So they're leaving money on the table. They consider themselves great, but there's three products per year not being launched because they're not working efficiently. They're not reusing knowledge that they have because it's in some folder somewhere, new people coming in using the wrong templates because the, the software is not leading them through the process. Right, so there's the governance is not in place. So decision making, I see that very often that there's a, a, a committee like a portfolio steering committee, and they only meet like every three months or every half year. So if your project doesn't make it to the list in let's say March, you have to wait till October for a decision. Yeah. Whoa, by that time you could have launched your product. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join us again. Hope you're all having a good week. In a recent podcast, I discussed how innovation is more than a checklist. And I spoke about the advantages and disadvantages of keeping things in lists, uh, lists of actions, and, and where that was good, where that might not be good. We talked about some of the gaps that, that would be arise as a result. And H.C. Epic, who's been on this podcast before with me several times, uh, called me up and said, you know, a lot of people are managing innovation using Excel, and he thought that would be a good topic to discuss. And I couldn't agree more with him. So... I said, yeah, that's great. Uh, would you join me? And he said, yeah, I'd be happy to join you. So, HC, how are you doing? Hey, I'm, I'm doing uh, great. It's a beautiful summer day, almost summer, although we're still in March. Temperatures rising here over in, in southern Germany, right? So the southern in Germany is emphasized. <laughs> Having a, a beautiful day. It's, it's great, great. Uh, to be on the show again, Paul. Hi. Yeah, always is. Always fun discussions with you. Well, I think, you know, Everybody knows Excel. I, somebody once told me, and I have no facts, but this is probably the most quoted piece of uh, information out there, is Excel is the number one tool for project management. But, you know, I think it's the number one tool for management, any kind of management, your own, your own yeah. personal things you need to do. You know, you're going you're gonna to buy a house. What do you do? You open up Excel and just start typing in all the things you need to do. And it's just, it's just such a good management tool. Why? Well, I think we all know it's easy, right? It's, it's very easy to get started. Everybody knows it's it. Versatile. Everybody's used to it. Yeah. It's personal, right? If it's personal, about you. Versatile, you, yeah. Yeah, flexible, easy to change. You've got a list and you want to add another column, you just do it, right? So it really has a lot of advantages. And when we talked in the last podcast about having lists of things to do, lists of actions and, and, and activities and things like that, you know, Excel is just such a natural tool to track that. And so a lot of companies will start that way, right? They'll start managing their processes in Excel. And I know, HC, you've seen a lot of that, but there are, you know, they could do calculations, they could do analysis, they can count things up, they can start adding things, but it, it's still personal. And where it gets into trouble is the moment innovation becomes more than one person, right? As soon as you, you need to expand it to a team or more than one, it starts to get a little trickier, doesn't it? A lot to be said for Excel, of course. Uh, and it, it seems to be the natural beginning of, of 
tracking things or giving numerous things in order, right? Logging them and, and giving them order. So yeah, I wanted to go back to uh, where you started out, right? When I listened to your podcast about managing checklists versus managing innovation from a content perspective, right? And I know so many people or, or companies in that regard that when, when they think of, hey, what do we need to do? First of all, we need to collect ideas, right? And then once you have a collection of ideas, uh, you need to prioritize them. So you, you need to rank them. So, so you need to have some common measures, we would say KPIs or metrics to rank them. So, so maybe like what's the urgency or what's the feasibility? And then if, if feasibility, that's already, that, that's already requiring some more thinking, right? Maybe a scorecard or something. So you, you need to have a scorecard, prepare that with an engineer because they would know if it's technically feasible and someone else would know if it's commercially feasible. Can we even, could we produce that at a reasonable cost? So is there a market? So next thing, one thing leads to another. And if, if, uh, if you're just having checklists and you stay on the checklist, you will then have a ton of not connected content that is, is just uh, thrown in a folder and has no connection at all. So it basically the whole experience, the whole knowledge that is achieved through going through these exercises, that whole knowledge is buried in that folder. It, it's, it's just gone, right? You might as well just throw it out of the window. And then the natural involvement for people that start with Excel list. So once they have these list of ideas, now they have the list of criteria, then they have a sort of deliverables where they think, yeah, but for every idea, we need to have a feasibility, uh, a scorecard, right? Does it fit for us? Or is that an idea where we can't do it at all? I had a, because you asked for a practical example. So I, I spoke once with a chemical uh, company that where someone from the chemical company had an absolutely a great idea to come up with a very elaborate system that would use all the available content that they have around their chemical products and create something like knowledge maps so that they could be reused. But the thing is, the guy was an, uh, an IT-ish guy and, and the thing was a very sophisticated software. And this was a chemical. So while they had an IT department, it was their internal IT to manage their you know, infrastructure, IT infrastructure. So they had no idea, could they build it? What would it cost? Could they maintain it? Uh, so basically the whole thing was great. Everybody said great. And they matured it to a certain point until they discovered, hey, actually it would cost us a couple of resources, FTEs per year to just keep it up to date, to keep it running, to, to keep the sources available because it's once, once of a lifetime experience to get all the data in, right? And so they wanted to sell it and then they discovered they actually have no idea who to sell it to or mm. what the channels are. They had no access to interest or companies or market if you want. So by that time, they had already burned the equivalent of several, like half a dozen FTE, full-time equivalents, which at that time you could have seen from the very beginning, hey, actually we're a chemical company. What we are looking for is idea for great chemical products. 
not for a software product. Let's do that jointly with a software company, maybe, you know, take a different approach, but they were doing that so far that by the time they abandoned, they, they sold it, I think they gave it away basically. By the time they did that, they had sunk a lot of cost, which could have been totally avoided. So, and they had a lot of people were contributing to that, which were missing in other projects, right? So it's, it's very much a story that we see very often that people are working on projects that never going to go anywhere. And instead of abandoning the projects, instead of killing them, making a decision about it, these projects drag on and we try another way and again and again, and the resources are missing for the valuable projects that actually could could benefit from having these resources. So yeah, that's, that's just one example where the strategic fit from the very beginning was not there. And if you had a simple system in place, you could have just seen that from the very beginning. And then all you need to do is, is have these the, the rules in place, have a governance maybe. So what are the rules by which we play, right? And then you need to have management that actually takes decisions because that's that's probably the the thing uh, that that is um, delaying most projects and also delaying most successful projects. Because if there's no decision taken, it's just disastrous for for the whole organization, and it it sources uh, it, it sort of paralyzes the development of new stuff. And we we yeah. see that also. Elsewhere. And I think there's two there's two connections when you think about managing innovation in a tool like Excel. One is the actual project itself, project or right. program itself. And the second one you touched on it is the portfolio, right? And so now I have to have a sheet of projects or products. And then for each one, I have a maybe a whole workbook. I've seen some incredible things being done where each phase might be managed in a different way in that workbook. And and it starts out pretty innocent, right? But I, I watched a customer just try to stack rank ideas in Excel. They just wanted to reorder them. And it's not really possible. Uh, you can't just, you know, there's, there's better tools in Excel sometimes. But, but it starts out okay. I think when you're a certain size, so it's okay. You can deal with it. That's, that's one of the problems, that it starts out so well. You know, you right. can, if, if you just think about it from the very beginning, you can easily do it. Everyone can do it, right? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. It's personal. It's easy to, to use. Everybody can use it. So you start out with, with, and if you run just with five ideas for products, right? right. That's totally fine. You don't need anything else. That, then stick to it. Correct. If it's 15, uh, it's a bit more work. But if it's 50, it's next to impossible to have a portfolio view on it. Yeah, correct. And 50 is a low number. That's a low number. If you just think you, you would just do 15 projects, but per year, and you have a development cycle of like three years, you already have more than 50 projects in your pipeline all the time. If, if you think about it, it explodes. Yeah. And then go back and mining old projects, right? Old ones. Yeah. And as some of these Excel, they've been marvelous. These workbooks, uh, as a, as a techie person, I just opened it. And I said, wow, you know, you got, you got a workbook with multiple sheets in it, but then all of a sudden there's macros and things are moving things around. And, and I think, you know, I think one of the biggest problems is two problems, really, if I'm going to start a new 
new product or a new idea evaluation or whatever, and there's an approved workbook that steps me through the phases and the, collects the data and does all that, do I have the right one? Where's the latest? Right? That's always a challenge with those is where is the latest? And even a bigger challenge is how do you fix or improve it given that some projects are in flight? Right? So here's this workbook that, that maybe you're using and there's a major problem with it. And we update the template. Now the next, if, if the next person finds the latest template, they've got it, but you're in the middle of yours and rolling out a fix to you is, is, it's really difficult. Not only is that difficult, but also my way of working, because I'm clearly, if, if I'm a project manager and I've just done a project, a very similar one to the, to the next new project, right? I just take that template that I've been working on. Right. Right. Rename it, save it in a different folder on my SharePoint or OneDrive, wherever, wherever. but right. just basically create another uh, folder uh, for my no new project. And then the whole process starts again. And, and then I might be uh, still working with the, the, the faulty template, right? Right. And if 50 people at the same time do that, it's very, very hard to, to drive these old templates out of the organization. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, drive them out. It's, I, I know in our small company, Sophion, if we want to change anything like a template, like PowerPoint templates, boy, you forever got the old ones. They're still there. You can't get them out. So we're a small company. We can't do it. Can you imagine a big company trying to change templates? Yeah. But what, one thing you, you, you mentioned, um, I think you, you, you mentioned like two problems. I think this, it's what is often overlooked is that with every project, the organization, uh, organization has an opportunity to gain significant new knowledge. Right. It's, it's typically people think of, yeah, at the end of the project, we do a lessons learned. But actually, you learn all the time. If, if you're trying to advance an idea through a concept, through a, a business case, a prototype, you learn all the time what is possible, what not. And, and these learnings, if, if they're kept in a folder on SharePoint or OneDrive or somewhere, right, these learnings are, are just wasted and, and you cannot re, yeah, they're disconnected. And if you, if you're still using Excel, then the checklist of, have you done this? Do we have a test file on the material? Yes, we have check, but where is it? Right, for, right. For, for Scott's sake, where is it? And what is in it? So what did we learn from it? Yeah, so this is, this is totally wasted. Yeah, so I, I think the message is, you know, well, first of all, Excel never disappears, right? It's, it's, it's essential. There's a lot of things, even in a, a very good, governance system, a managing system that's managing innovation. Excel is all over the place. It has a fit, but it needs to be managed and it needs to be organized and the data needs to get out of Excel into a common repository. So it's preserved. People shouldn't have to go find templates, right? There's all these, these uh, techniques that it, it reduces Excel from being the the database, if you will, or the tool that organizes it to being just one more capability that an innovation team is going to use to do their financial analysis or collect and do some analysis. It's great for analytics, uh, those kind of things. You said it exactly right. So, so Excel does not get away, but we need to be, and all, all companies need to, need to understand where Excel is really great and what it's not great for. 
So what's the trade-off, right? What what is what are we giving away if we continue working with Excel? And we we keep saying Excel because we started off the topic of managing right. checklists, which which is very good. But in general, I I have to say it it the same is true for almost all homegrown systems that are used for innovation management because they start out beautifully small, ideally, and you use the word innocent. They start out very innocent, but then they turn into the devil as things become more complex because you add ideas, you, you, you have a change in process, you have a change in your scorecards, your KPIs change, you want to, your priorities change, right? Uh, we've seen that in the world right now. Everybody in, in Europe currently, everybody who produces something in Europe needs to reprioritize their portfolio because of the current events happening in, in Ukraine, right? So for Ukraine, but also for in the long run, uh, with the climate uh, change that we need to cope with. So things are constantly changing. And typically, your homegrown systems are not able are not flexible enough to reflect that. And what's more what we didn't touch on, if those homegrown systems if if they're on Excel or not, but they have been built by some knowledgeable people. And if those people are leaving the company or retire, then you're deep, knee deep yeah. <laughs> in the wrong substance. <laughs> yeah, almost always it's one person. You ever notice that? There's one person sure. who's the brilliance behind this this homegrown system. Yeah. And, and really, it's, it's difficult. It's a, that's, a, that's a big risk. I had a, a beautiful uh, experience with a large, large engineering company in, based in Munich. So they have different uh, business segments, and one of them is, is one of the, the largest business segments is engineering. And they had a, a system made uh, to manage all their projects, and they let me through that, and it was really great. It was typically engineering a, a bit over freight, you know, with, with too much stuff on, on one user interface. So you needed to know what you're looking at under what, otherwise you had no chance of understanding it. Uh, but the thing is the guy retired, the guy mm. that built it retired. And so they knew that a year before and they were trying to, uh, to replace that. And they couldn't find a system that came close because of course it was tailor made. Yeah. He had done that over 10 years, right? It was tailor-made for that, what they had for the engineering tasks and, and projects that they ran. And so we had to compro find compromises and, and some common ground, but they also understood that they had wasted a lot of knowledge and not reused it because it was not a database-driven uh, database system where it would provide uh, gained knowledge proactively to the next project leader, right? So, so they couldn't benefit from that. And, and so in the end, they were, were pretty happy with the new stuff, although it was not as tailored, of course not, as the other, the 10-year-old yeah. the homegrown system. Right. And you mentioned the word database. It's a lot easier to move forward when you have data in a database and you can kind of recollect it and resort it and, and move it to a new system. You know, in the early days of, of my experiences, uh, there were a lot of companies doing it in Lotus Notes. They were managing innovation right. very effectively in Lotus Notes. Yeah. But at some point, very similar, it became a bit of a burden, and they needed to move off of it. And then Lotus Notes as a platform was going in a different direction. So, But they had 
the data was in there, right? And so you could, and knowledge was in there. So it was a system that had knowledge and content in one place, fully organized, and you could migrate it to something else. And we did, early days of Sophia, we migrated many, many people off of Lotus Notes. But I think the advice, what we're saying is, you know, if you're small, and whether it be Excel or a homegrown system, it's okay, but think about these things. Think about getting information organized and collected and managed with the expectation that someday it needs to move out of there into something else. And be in front of that. Know that at some point your system might become a burden or probably will become a burden. And how do you recognize that point, right? That if you wait too long and it is a burden, it's a lot harder. But if you say, you know what, we see this and we can predict that a year from now, it's not going to work for us any longer. We can see that point coming, you know, then you could, you could plan for something else. Easy to say, maybe hard to do, but that's my advice. It's just to, it's not to say, don't, don't do it with these homegrown systems, homegrown tools. If you're small, do it, but recognize at some point you're going to have to move off. And now while you're ahead of that point, begin thinking now, how would you migrate this to something else? Yeah, I, I would. Um, so I would probably not not spin it like. Uh, how yeah, would you feel migrate? free to disagree. I, I, it's a good debate here. Yeah, so I, because I'm coming more from the business side, you're obviously more from the technical side, yeah. uh, right? And and I would. Uh, so the the benchmarks, if you want, would be. So how long does it take you if there's a change in your strategies? Hmm. How long does it take you to reprioritize your portfolios? And if, if that's longer than like six days, then you should change something. And it probably, uh, the system is probably part of the problem, not of the solution. So that for me, the, the easiest benchmark is how long does it take that your portfolios reflect your change in strategy? That's the benchmark. Yeah. And then you will find, anybody will find a solution, of course. Yeah. I think another one is how many mistakes are you making because you're not, you know, you don't have access to the data or it's the wrong data or wrong template. Yeah, those kind of but things. that's that, that's difficult to put a number on, right? Especially on money. That it, it's it's always a numbers game. Let's let's say we have an organization that has a hundred people in product development and they bring out like five products. How do you actually know they could indeed bring out eight products? Right. So they're leaving money on the table. They consider themselves great, but there's three products per year not being launched because they're not working efficiently. They're not reusing knowledge that they have because it's in some folder somewhere. New people coming in using the wrong templates because the, the software is not leading them through the process. Right. So there's the governance is not in place. So decision making. I see that very often that there's a, a, a committee, like a portfolio steering committee, and they only meet like every three months or every half year. So if your project doesn't make it to the list in, let's say, March, you have to wait till October for a decision. Yeah. Whoa, by that time you could have launched your product. So it's difficult to put a number on how much money is left on the table. But in development, it's totally normal that, that you could become much more efficient and you could reuse existing knowledge much better with a diff with different approach. Yeah. And I think as, as uh, product development is getting harder, products are getting more complex. 
Yeah. Right? They're, they're yeah, becoming not yeah. just simple products, but they're with the digitization aspects and the new business models that are being offered. And it's just becoming uh, more complex, the, 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 the products that, that people are having to deal with in the refactoring of products, right? We have products out in the market, and then suddenly we have to change them because of supply chain. And there's just a complexity there that's driving uh, the need for more advanced innovation management type of s- system. Yeah, and and so we left the field of of Excel and database, but to I think product development uh, very often. So these teams are not not really equipped with the right methodologies, with the right playbook, if you want, to cope with all that complexity that is thrown at them. So I, I can't blame them to to continue doing product improvements, right? Because it's low risk. Everybody knows what you need to do, it's uh, low investment, it's it's keeping you safe and everybody else as well. And and the high risk and, and high value products, which one are to be prioritized, right? Sometimes the, the, the methodology is, not, is just not there or the governance does not tell them where to go. So that's, I think governance methodology wise, I'd like to say, uh, uh, call that a playbook uh, for innovation. I think that from the very beginning on the front end of the funnel, if you want, it, that's still missing in, in many, many companies, especially in, in the mid-market. I think the bigger guys, they got their act pretty much yeah. together, right. but the mid-market is still trying to find their way around. Yeah, and I, I think you mentioned knowledge, you mentioned learnings, test and learn. You're learning things way early in the process and all that needs yeah. to be captured in, in, a, in a good way. Yeah, I see our, our time's already up. I think I, so, but it's a good good discussion to have. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, thinking of the listeners who are sitting there, well, what do I make of this? What do I do about this? And I, yeah, I think the message is, is just maybe we've raised some issues that people can think about, kind of predict what's coming. Yeah, maybe we turn them, we, we give some advice where you can turn to, right? Because it, there's there's actually a lot of information that, that can help you with with designing, putting your playbook together. There is. And, yeah. thus, and thus the whole product development organization will become so much more effective. And and I would I would say, hey, first of all, listen to all of Paul's podcasts. <laughs> well, it's the guests that join me, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's, 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 a, it's a great source of, uh, of, of inspiration, but also for clear rules and clear advice. So I, I, I listen to that when I, when I walk in the morning and it's every time so entertaining and I learn something, so that's great. But apart from, from your podcast, which is really, really great, I would say, hey, look up the, the body of knowledge from the PDMA, right? It's like a compendium with everything that you need to know about product development. And, uh, and there's a lot of methodologies and, and templates av- available from, from that body of knowledge. And then, of course, uh, we need to mention that uh, there is a guy, uh, Professor Robert G. Cooper, that uh, many years ago, he, he uh, laid the groundwork uh, for, for methodologies in product development. And he's still around and he's, for example, twice a year, he's in Germany giving, giving seminars and one of the seminars coming up in May. If you have half a chance, make sure to connect with Bob, Bob is called Bob Cooper. And maybe you want to visit him in Darmstadt in, in May and uh, get in touch with me and I help you out. <laughs> there you go. 
Well, it was a good conversation, HC. Thanks for joining me and and, uh, talking about it. I I hope that uh, all the people listening found some value out of this and certainly reach out to either one of us if if you'd like to talk about it more uh, or if you'd like to come on a show and give us a perspective, give us your opinion. Always happy to have uh, have people share their experiences, their knowledge, how they moved from maybe one type of way of doing innovation to a better way, right? Let's let's try to help people get better at uh, at innovating. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, there's so much to be said about that. And there's certainly concepts that that might be seemingly contradicting each other, but if you look at the details, you see. And if you want to rig up an, a playbook, an innovation system, you need so many ingredients, right? You need venture capital. You need exploitation, exploration, innovation, accounting, for example from the most recent podcast, there's so yeah. many ingredients, it's a uh, week talk for hours. And I, I just sure. love, love to help people. So that's great. There you go. All right, HC, you have a good week. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I enjoyed the, the conversation. Thank Absolutely. You. Me too. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. And we hope you have a good week. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.